everybody. It is Monday, November 12th, 2018, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Isleyke, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. We took a little bit of time off due to some illness and some uh, scheduling conflicts, but we're back with a moderately sized episode this week. In the new segment, we'll talk a little bit about uh, one subject I clearly love to talk about a lot, and that is EVs, uh, and more specifically, uh, Volkswagen's plans to introduce a $21,000 entry-level SUV, an EV, in the next year or so, uh, all over the world and here in the United States. Uh, in the car culture segment, I want to talk a little bit about the... Uh, Motor Trend Car of the Year uh, deliberations that are currently, apparently, in air quotes, going on right now. Um, and kind of the frustrations that I have with the weird way that they do their process uh, when they do some of these kinds of things. Uh, and then last up, a car that's been in my mind. Uh, it's not really anything super particular, but I do want to talk a bit about one of the new Acuras that are out there, and it's the ILX. And uh, some interesting, maybe not necessarily interesting, but some weird ways that that car makes a ton of sense and also no sense at all. So all that and more, guys, after the bump. So uh, first up in the news segment, a little bit about Volkswagen once again. Uh, Volkswagen is saying that they have uh, purchased enough batteries to make 50 million EVs over the next time frame uh, however many it's going to take them to do 50 million EVs uh, consider of course that Volkswagen is not just individual the Volkswagen company but also uh, Porsche, Bentley uh, Lamborghini uh, Audi, so many other brands uh, not just sold in the US but also sold all around the world um, and that means that they're going to have vehicles from bottom to top, top to bottom, side to side that are going to be having some sort of hybrid uh, power powertrain or EV powertrain over the next foreseeable future. Um, this all comes on the heels, of course, of Dieselgate largely being, air quotes, solved here in the U.S., where uh, Volkswagen got a huge legal fine. They've got a bunch of people that are going to jail. Uh, in Europe, it's much the same thing. Um, they're basically having to re-dictate the entire uh, performance and engineering of so many of their companies. Uh, you know, it's important to note that Volkswagen, at least here in the U.S., maybe not necessarily Europe, but they really drove the idea that diesel is an, as an efficient, uh, fuel-friendly, you know, environmentally safe choice uh, for people to make, and it turned out it wasn't 100% true, and because of that, they're going to have to shift to EVs, and they're paying a lot of money to get people to shift to EVs um, over the next couple of years, and uh, a big part of that, according to Bloomberg Magazine, is going to be that there is a 21000 thousand dollar subcompact suv uh that's going to be sold by volkswagen in the next year or so um all across the world and that includes the united states uh this subcompact suv would be something around the size of a hyundai kona um which if you haven't seen one of those it's you know a little bit smaller than like a chevy equinox equinox but a little bit bigger than the chevy tracks those seem like they're two vehicles a lot of people would know here in the u.s um 
I personally really like the Kona quite a bit, um, and they just rolled out an EV Kona uh, here in the U.S. that uh, at least folks on the coastal states are going to be able to buy. It's going to be a little bit longer until us folks in the interior will be able to get our hands on it. Uh, but Volkswagen's going for the jugular. Uh, they know that people want EVs. They know that people are waiting for the range and the price to get to a point where uh, it makes sense to transition from a ICE engine, a con internal combustion engine, uh, to uh, EV power. And at $21,000, I really think they're going to get a lot of people to jump on board. The thing is, is that one, they're not saying that if that $21,000 price is before or after incentives, um, I would guess fair bet it's going to be before incentives so you're looking at you know a little bit less than a $30,000 EV um, which you know again still a fair price um, range I think is going to be a question at that point um, is it going to be something that you know can do a hundred miles which is what a lot of the or excuse me a lot of the compliance vehicles have been in the U.S. over the past couple of years um, we would hope that that would be more than that is it going to do 200 miles maybe might be more likely since technology is definitely going to be getting to that point where a 200 mile EV is going to become the bare minimum uh, 300 miles probably not but if Volkswagen is smart I'm willing to bet that this SUV is going to be uh Something that's going to have probably multiple sizes of batteries uh, that'll support the kind of range that you need. Um, but the other thing is, too, of course, that this is Volkswagen, and they are notoriously bad at product planning, development, rollout, and execution, especially here in North America. Um, I don't want to get my hopes up too much, but their ID brand uh, has a lot of wind in its sails right now, whether it's in Europe or the United States. Uh, and I think a lot of pressure is on Volkswagen to survive this hardship that they have with Dieselgate, move into EVs, and really push the market forward in a way that no other brand has really been able to do. Um, it's really interesting to kind of look at this too in the context of Tesla, where they took a top-down approach to how they're handling their EVs and hybrid, or excuse me, just their EVs, where you start with a luxury product and it eventually rolls down to a regular vehicle, versus a company like Kia and Hyundai, uh, where they are starting at the bottom and they're kind of working their way up, and they're rolling out, you know, 300-mile EVs that are going to be around $30,000 uh, this year in the United States, and that's truly exciting. Um, and so Volkswagen could really mess things up for both of them, especially undercutting them at that price point so low at $21,000. That's something that I don't want to say just about anyone, but a lot of people uh, with the means, you know, looking to do an affordable lease that have the ability to charge, whether it's at their apartment, at work or at home, uh, it makes a lot of sense. So best of luck to Volkswagen. Uh, I hope to see what this thing looks like. You know, maybe we'll get to see it as soon as uh, the LA Auto Show or the Detroit Auto Show this year, but it's a fair bet more than likely that we're going to have to wait to the European car season uh, later into the spring and summer to probably get a better idea of what this is. So we'll see. And then uh, one last note about another company that I know I talk about entirely too much, but they're one of the few companies that actually has news on a regular basis, uh, and that is Hyundai as well as Kia. Um, both of them are getting ready to roll out their full-size SUVs uh, at the 
2019, or excuse me, I guess it's technically the 2018 Los Angeles Auto Show still. Um, the new uh, Telluride SUV from Kia has been previewed at the New York Fashion Week earlier this uh, fall, summer-ish, whatever that transitional period was. Uh, and we're going to be seeing the Hyundai Palisade uh, unveiled in LA here soon. And these large SUVs appear to be body on frame we're not 100 percent sure but they're they are definitely going to be full-size competitors probably more to something like the chevrolet traverse which is a unibody pretty large suv um, i don't think this thing's going to be going necessarily for the tahoe or the ford expedition but nevertheless hyundai thinks that they have the chops to kind of take that fight to them and they're gonna do it uh, this, of course, kind of makes me go back to the old Kia Borrego, uh, which happened in the mid-late aughts, right as the financial collapse was coming in. Uh, the Kia Borrego was a body-on-frame SUV with a big, thirsty V8 uh, that got horrible fuel economy, um, despite being, uh, you know, it, it being a little bit more of a modern vehicle. Uh, the car really was capable. It was fairly luxurious. It came in at a good price, but it was only on the market for a little over a year, and then they pulled it. So I think they've kind of learned some mistakes from that process. I think this new Palisade and the Telluride are going to be a little more uh, economical when it comes to performance, uh, especially in terms of fuel economy. I think the pricing-wise, they're definitely going to be competitive. They're going to be going after Chevy and Ford uh, in different ways, I think, with both of those brands. Um, I think they're definitely going to be a little more luxurious because definitely, as we've seen, even with basic Hyundai and Kia cars of late, uh, quality and execution are top-notch, and they're not to be messed with. Um, what I do find interesting about the Palisade is that it's coming out as a Hyundai and not as a Genesis. It seems like having a luxury full-size SUV would be a much greater moneymaker for them, uh, especially as Genesis as a brand continues to grow, whereas they could let Kia have a lot of success on the lower end of the market with the Telluride. But the other thing is, is that Kia seems to be wanting to make the Telluride a more luxurious vehicle. Maybe the Palisade's going to be the more normal, in air quotes, model. I don't know. It's a weird mess that Hyundai and Kia have going on right now uh, with the way both brands are structured. Uh, historically, Kia was always supposed to be the lower tier basic entry level point, and Hyundai was supposed to be slightly more luxurious. Uh, but as things have continued to change under the leadership of a bunch of people who used to work for BMW and Audi and so many other brands, uh, uh, they've really kind of started to diverge uh, as two completely separate companies under the one umbrella of one. I don't necessarily mean to think that Hyundai is going to become, you know, Oldsmobile and Kia is going to become Pontiac and then they're going to have Genesis, which is like Cadillac, and then Kia will have its own luxurious brand that'll be whatever. I I don't think we're going to get to that quite yet, but it's going to be an interesting change-up that they're going to have with these two SUVs, because I think it's really going to dictate where they're heading in the near future. Um, but this really also kind of comes on the heels of a news article that came out a while ago, a long while ago, where it said that Kia and uh, Hyundai were completely caught flat-footed by the change to crossovers and SUVs in the marketplace. Um, they did have some fast-selling options like the Santa Fe and the uh, Sorento and things like that, but they really weren't class competitive, and that's why we've seen such a huge reinvestment in these brands and the separation of some models even further uh, to make sure that there is space for something like these larger SUVs inside their thing. Will it work out? 
I'm willing to bet, yes, Kia and Hyundai are on a roll. Uh, they are eating the market share of a lot of different brands, and whether that's American or Japanese or European, uh, it makes sense to buy these cars. They've got great reputations in terms of reliability and performance. Quality and refinement are very, very good. Uh, as much as we had questions and issues with their overall performance and capabilities just a few short years ago, uh, I wouldn't see any reason not to recommend something like this compared to a Honda Pilot or a Chevy Traverse. So congratulations, guys. I guess we'll see what the final product looks like. But uh, yeah, I don't know. But in lieu of all of this, of course, uh, this is a, a reminder that we are, I think, just a matter of a week or so from the Los Angeles Auto Show. So uh, keep it locked here on the Salvage Title Podcast. Uh, I'll try to go through day by day, as I have done in the past, with uh, some of the major announcements, kind of talk about what some of the new models are, what they may mean uh, going forward. So you have that to look for very soon. So in the car culture segment, I want to talk a little bit about the Motor Trend Car of the Year uh, process that's going on right now. And that includes not just uh, traditional cars, but also SUVs and crossovers, as well as pickup trucks. Uh, Motor Trend's been doing its Car of the Year Award since 1949. Uh, they are one of the first automobile publications that did such a large open in air quotes process for finding a car or technology of the year and it's something that they've done a fairly decent job of modernizing uh, throughout the years and where we come to now in 2018 I think is really a interesting I don't want to call it a cornerstone I don't know what you want to call it it's a it's a it's definitely a crossroads I feel like in my mind of where things have kind of come the past few years and where things seem to be going um, Motor Trend, if you've never read the magazine, or Car and Driver, its other American counterpart, uh, both magazines kind of cater to different ends of the automotive spectrum. Car and Driver has always been much more of an enthusiast, uh, driving kind of magazine. They've got a little bit more snark, uh, a little bit more European-focused in their uh, overall opinions, execution, so on and so forth, versus Motor Trend, which has always been the flag-waving American publication. And, you know, it's really evident in the way that you look at Cars of the Year uh, awards that have gone on for years and years and years. Uh, you know, Car and Driver has been accused of being up Honda's butt for the better part of 30 or 40 years with how many awards they've given to the Honda Accord, uh, uh, you know, they've given dozens and dozens of awards to the Mazda Miata, so on and so forth, versus Motor Trend, which has always been kind of lean American. And you see a lot of, uh, especially the past few years, controversial choices that were done in favor of Chevrolet, uh, where Chevrolet did a clean sweep one year of all of the awards. And a lot of people were really concerned that Motor Trend had kind of sold the awards to particular brands. And I think some of that still might be somewhat... Uh, a problem. Uh, if you look at Motor Trend's website and even their magazine over the past few years, there's a lot of sponsored content from 
uh, FCA, Chevrolet, and many other car companies that are glorifying these car releases. And it's not always clear whether or not Motor Trend is letting these companies write copy to place on their website or if it is Motor Trend uh, editors and writers and whatever else publishing that content with the approval of these car makers on there. And that kind of also flies in the face of the change that they made recently with a lot of their content being locked behind a paywall. Um, Motor Trend used to publish a lot of their content for free online, uh, you know, within a little bit of a time frame after the release of some of these things. Um, but nevertheless, you could access the stuff, kind of get in on the conversation, for lack of a better phrase, and uh, figure out what was going on. And now it's kind of this little leaky, teasy, whatever kind of thing that they do, and it's really kind of annoying. Um, I really hate the way Motor Trend has developed over the past few years, and I understand that it's completely uh, in in search of a way to make money off of the content they're creating, and I, you know, apparently they've been successful in doing it, and more power to them, but it really sucks when you try to look into uh, what's going on on their end of the business world. But back to the awards. Uh, the awards in particular, they want to focus in on some basic criteria uh, for their cars and trucks. Um, this got uh, changed up a little bit, I think more recently, uh, but nevertheless, this is what they're looking for. They're looking for design advancement, engineering excellence, efficiency, safety, value, and performance of intended function uh, of each of their vehicles. And this year, you know, it's kind of a weird year for cars to kind of be looking at some of the the strong contenders and finalists in each one, but at least for crossover uh, or SUV of the year, uh, at least in terms of finalists so far, uh, they have the Acura RDX, the Ford Expedition, the Hyundai Kona, the Jaguar I-Pace, Jeep Wrangler, Lincoln Navigator, Range Rover Velar, Subaru Forester, and Volvo XC40 as finalists. And then for Car of the Year finalists, they have the Audi A6, Audi A7. Interesting that both cars do exactly the same thing, just with slightly a different body style. The Genesis G70, the Honda Insight, the Hyundai Veloster, or Veloster, however you want to pronounce it, and the Volvo S60 and V60 uh, sedan and station wagon. Uh, it's a weird mi mixing of cars, I feel like, this year. One thing that they also do is that cars are only brought back if they have won, and then they bring back cars or trucks that have been modified or significantly altered uh, year to year uh, to meet the criteria or meet the criteria to be contenders. Now, what's strange is that they don't have a pickup truck listing, um, but of course that's going to be the Dodge Ram, uh, excuse me, the Ram 1500, the Ford F-150, and the new Silverado and Sierra pickup trucks from GM. Uh, what the weird way that they're con doing, the con or at least the competition for that, is they're going model to model, trim to trim, engine option to engine option for that, uh, versus the cars or their specific things. And I think that's a really strange way to operate that. They've already basically ruled out a bunch of the pickup trucks just because they don't like the design or execution of them. So apparently the Chevy Silverado has already been marked out completely uh, because it's too similar to the old vehicle and they don't think it's moving the thing forward, which that's a whole subject for another episode of this show. Um, but then, you know, there's a lot of other cuts that they're making in terms of pickup trucks that don't make a whole lot of sense either. I don't know. It's a big mess on how they do that. Um, but when it comes down to it, I think kind of leaning into what 
we assume are going to be favorites and what probably are going to be favorites, um, I think is where things can get kind of interesting for Motor Trend. Um, as far as since we were just talking about pickup trucks, we'll talk about that for a second. I think it's a safe bet that both of the GM models are out as uh, pickup truck of the year uh, winners. Um, as much as I feel like they have made significant progress in terms of design and execution, it's safe to say that they're not moving far enough ahead to change the way that we think about the pickup truck as an everyday vehicle. I personally really like the new Silverado, but I know I'm in the extreme minority on that. Uh, Chevy's got a hot turd on their hands, and they are going to have to work quick uh, to to avoid it losing its first, or excuse me, its second place selling crown uh, because GMC or Ram are very likely to succeed it in the very near future. Um, I think the leading contender right now is probably the Ram 1500. Um, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't win at this point. I think it comes down to what model they're going to push forward as the true winner. Um, I know they've featured a, the Ram Rebel in a lot of its uh, photos that are online right now on their website. <clears throat> I don't necessarily if that, know if that's necessarily deserving of Pickup Truck of the Year, but the Ram, you know, 1500 with the 3.6 liter uh, e-torque Pentastar V6, I think, is a very good choice for pickup truck of the year. I think it's a truck that meets a lot of people's needs. It definitely pushes forward the uh, design and execution aspect of where things need to be. Um, but, you know, whether or not they're actually going to win, I don't know. That diesel F-150, I think, is also a good choice, but it sounds like they've already crossed that one off the list, too. Uh, moving down to crossovers and SUVs... Um, I think it's a lot of where you feel like the market is, where it should be, and where it's going. Um, I think the clear winner in this segment, at least to me, and based on previous editions of this magazine and how they award these kinds of things, I think the Jaguar I-Pace really steps out as a clear winner in this category. Whether or not it's the one they're actually going to choose, I don't really know. It's really surprising to me that the Hyundai Kona has made it as far as it has in this uh, race. I think the Hyundai Kona is a great uh, subcompact crossover. I think it's a fantastic value for a lot of buyers, but it really flies in the face of a lot of the press that's been on the Hyundai Kona over in Europe, where they really don't care for the Hyundai as much as they do its sister Kia model, which I'm totally blanking on what the name of it is, uh, but... It's a weird contrast that's going on. Um, I would not be surprised if the Ford Expedition takes that top thing or that top award in that segment either, uh, just because, like I said, Motor Trend tends to be a flag-waving, very American uh, publication, and they're going to go and probably uh, support these American options very soon. Um, I think a dark horse in that category, I feel like I'm lingering on this one quite a bit, is the Subaru Forester. Uh, it did sweep the floor a few years back uh, with uh, a lot of this, uh, just because it is kind of the ubiquitous baseline crossover for a lot of people, and and small changes make a big difference in that vehicle. Whether or not the changes that are going into this model year are enough to really roll things over, I don't really know, but it's definitely a dark horse favorite. But yeah, I'm fairly confident in saying that the Jaguar I-Pace will probably take that. As far as it comes down to car of the year, which I think is still the most important of these three Gallup, Golden Caliper awards that get handed out, um, 
what a weird mix of cars that are in here. The, like I said, the Audi A6 and A7 are exactly the same model. It's just a swoop back body style. Uh, the Volvo S60 and V60 are the same damn thing. Um, it's, you know, it's a wagon and it's a sedan. Um, but then you get something like the Genesis G70, which is a sport sedan uh, coming from Hyundai. Um, the Honda Insight, a uh, hybrid, a very interestingly baked hybrid done by Honda. And then you get the Hyundai Veloster, which is a cheap, compact, performance coupe-ish thing. And they just really are stratified in a strange way. And I just don't really know where they're trying to get at with these kinds of choices. Um, I guess if it were me, if I were picking out of this group, I think the Honda Insight kind of leans into the idea that as we continue to push forward into a, uh, a, a an era where the internal combustion engine is, you know, in the light or not necessarily in the limelight, but it's going away, um, that seems like a clear winner. Um, but when it comes to actual progress for a brand and pushing things forward, I think the Volvo S60 and V70 really deserve a lot of the uh, awards for being such good, well-crafted vehicles. Um, the dark horse here, I think, is the Genesis G70, um, just because that has apparently been such a surprise for so many portions of the automotive press. Um, Going after the BMW 3 Series takes a lot of guts. Um, this has apparently been one of the most credible efforts done since Cadillac and the ATS to take down the 3 Series. So we'll see if it pans out in any way, shape, or form. But yeah, I feel like the Honda, Honda Insight is probably the one to go for here. Um, I'd be curious to hear what kind of cars you guys think deserve to win in this category or any of those categories. Uh, hit me up here on Anchor FM at anchor.fm slash Y-S-S-M-A-N. Leave me a voicemail and we can incorporate it into the next episode of the show. Thank you so much. So last up, and as promised, we're going to talk a little bit about the Acura ILX. Uh, the ILX was a, well, it still is, a compact luxury, entry-level luxury sedan uh, made by Honda of North America under the Acura brand uh, that's based on the ninth-generation Honda Civic. Uh, what is interesting about that particular designation is that the ninth-generation Honda Civic is largely considered to be one of the worst Honda Civic models uh, produced in the entire history of the brand. Uh, if you don't recall me talking about this in other episodes of the show, uh, the ninth generation Civic, which ran from 2012 to 2015, uh, was plagued with uh, problems when it came to uh, overall uh, dependability, reliability, uh, craftsmanship, engineering, all this stuff. Like Consumer Reports uh, gave it a basically a do not buy selection and Honda had to update the car every single year uh, in the time that it was out uh, to make sure that it was getting back up to the front of the uh, car buying recommendations from car and or excuse me uh, consumer reports um, eventually that is a big reason why, of course, that the new Honda Civic, which came out in 2016, was such a dramatic departure from that car. Um, it's much larger, much more luxurious, much more tech-forward, um, and has a little bit more of a commitment to a performance-driving attitude. Uh, but this ILX uh, kind of came out alongside it and was meant to be the replacement for the RSX, which was a very popular uh, import car that was originally designed for the Japanese and European markets uh, and was was sold as, if I remember correctly, the Integra in a lot of places, but they had a name change here in the U.S. Um, 
Nevertheless, the ILX to me has always been a very interesting and somewhat special car in my heart because I really like the way that Acura translated the Civic architecture to an Acura design and execution standard, but they also still kind of continued to miss the mark over the past few years. Um, the ILX debuted in 2012 right alongside that Civic. Um, it was a little bit larger. It had a much more plush and kind of cushy interior, um, but you could see the Civic bones in a lot of places, and it you know, it, it didn't exactly set the world on fire sales-wise when it first came out in 2012. Uh, they did a 2016 refresh, which put the car in line with the design features of the uh, the rest of the Acura lineup at the time, which was going through a similar rejuvenation uh, that the 2016 Honda Civic had gotten. Uh, but now in 2018, as a 2019 model, we're getting a similar large omnipresent refresh of the ILX, but the car's still based on the same bones as the 2012 model, um, which of course, again, is that much maligned Honda Civic. And so I kind of go, on the one hand, I really like the new car. I think it's a fantastic looking vehicle, uh, both inside and out, um, in ways that the Audi A3 is somewhat boring. The Mercedes CLA is trying way too hard to be a C-Class. Uh, this new RSX stands out. Like, it, it's got an aggressive appearance. The interior actually looks very luxurious and it's functional. It's got some niceties to it that really don't seem to be there. And you get a lot of really good safety tech that seems to work pretty well uh, that isn't offered by a lot of the European rivals. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it's got a big-ass engine, the 2.4-liter inline-four. It's got a older transmission, and it's based on a shitty Civic architecture. And that's what really kind of kills it in some sense. So the question has always been, of course, whether or not you should buy an ILX or whether you should buy a Honda Accord. Uh, the new ILX starts at $26,000. It has a ton of luxurious standard features that a lot of its competitors include for thousands of dollars more. Um, but at the same time, for $26,000, $26,000, you can get a pretty nice Honda Accord EX with a lot of similar stuff uh, for overall, dollar for dollar, once you factor in things like depreciation, you're going to come out ahead with the Honda. But man, that new ILX looks good. It really does look good. And the used values on these ILXs, actually, they told up surprisingly well. Um, I would definitely say that if you're out there looking for a cheap, uh, really nice used kind of luxury sedan, I think the ILX is worth looking into. If you could find one for not a lot of miles for like 15 grand, I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, the Buick, uh, what is it? The Not the Encore. What is the Buick little one called? I'm totally blanking out. They had a similar thing a few years ago that was basically the Opal Astra that was dressed up and sold here in the United States. That's also kind of in a similar vein where you kind of go, on the one hand, why would you spend the money on that car and not go for the slightly larger and better Regal, but at the same time, uh, hey, you know, I don't know. It's a weird marketplace of stuff, and of course, they wouldn't be making the car, they wouldn't be updating it if they didn't think there weren't some sales to be had. So, if you if you haven't checked out the new 2019 ILX, I think it's definitely worth a look. I'm excited to see it at the auto shows that are coming up very soon. Um, like I said, I really have kind of had a soft spot in my heart for this car, um, so... 
hopefully it does well. Hopefully we get a new chassis version of this car. I just kind of wonder in my head now if this is kind of meant to be the makeup vehicle for this chassis that Honda very likely spent a lot of money to develop but ran away from so quickly uh, just because things just weren't that great on it. But eh, we'll see. All right, guys, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Eslake, and you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN, and you can follow back on previous episodes of the show at anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Uh, you can also drop me a line and leave me a comment about the show, which we can incorporate in it. Um, like I said, anchor.fm slash YSSMAN. Uh, these shows are made available for free on a wide variety of podcasting platforms all across this planet we call Earth, uh, whether you're on Apple, iTunes, Google Play, uh, Spotify, uh, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, oh my gosh, I'm running out of breath. There's too many to name. Uh, we're available on there for free. Um, if they ask you to leave a uh, rating or anything like that, I'd really appreciate it if you do so. It helps us get seen by more people who use that platform. Um, so like I said, uh, the Los Angeles Auto Show is coming up. I think it's next week. I don't remember if it's the week before Thanksgiving or the week after Thanksgiving. It's coming up soon. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, we got a lot of interesting new cars that are going to be announced very soon, so uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled here on this podcast. We'll talk a bit about some of those things. And uh, I do apologize for some of the audio quality on this week's podcast. I'm recording it from my phone instead of my iPad uh, due to some space and time and different things I'm working on today. And like I said, I've been a little under the weather, so you might be able to hear it in my voice as well. Uh, but nevertheless, guys, I hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, maybe we'll do another episode if something new comes out or happens this week so uh yeah anyway guys have a great week and we'll see you on the next episode of the salvage title podcast